Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 381. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to tell you about FinTech Nexus LATAM, happening in Miami on December 13th and 14th. Latin America continues to be the hottest fintech region on the planet, and our 2022 event will feature all the leading players. So join the LATAM fintech community this year, where you'll meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Register at fintechnexus.com LATAM and use the discount code PODCAST for 15% off. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Adal Flores. He is the CEO and founder of Kueski. Now, Kueski is a Mexican fintech. Uh, they've been around for many years. We've been following the journey of Kueski and think they're just a super interesting company getting some serious scale. So I wanted to get Adal on. And they've really been scaling their BNPL offering. So we talk about that in some depth. They've had a lending product for many, many years, which we go in depth on that as well. Talk about how they manage risk, which is, I think, some really interesting tidbits there that uh, Adal shares about how how they do things um, that are very different to how people do it in the US. We talk about the cash-based informal economy in Mexico and what it's going to take to kind of bring people into the formal economy. And Adal has many thoughts on that. And he also talks about his vision for the company. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Adele. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Love to hear some of the highlights before you uh, started Kweski. I was born and raised in Mexico, specifically in Guadalajara, Mexico. I was uh, in industrial engineering. So I studied the industrial engineering in undergrad, you know, real interested into what's happening in Asia specifically. So I started uh, learning Chinese Mandarin on, I think it was 2000, year 2003, I believe, wow. more or less. Yeah, and then went to live China to study my bachelor's in Mandarin, which I, I was halfway there. I, I came back to Mexico. But, you know, interested in what's happening in Asia, obviously. I did some studies in Brazil. I did spent a lot of time in San Francisco. So I was keen in kind of like understanding global trends and especially I think financial services was interesting for me, um, generally speaking. And before Kweski, I was working for a company called Uyala, which is an online video technology company that got acquired by Telstra. I was in charge of opening the Mexican operations for Uyala, Mexico. So it was pretty much its own startup. That was when I bumped into the idea of Kweski. Like, you know, I was experiencing firsthand how difficult it is to get access to financial services in general in Mexico, but more specifically getting access to a loan or a credit card. And I think this was, you know, what motivated me to create better access to credit in Mexico. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more and tease that story out a little bit. Is there something um, that you saw, like there's something happened to you or what was the impetus? It's one thing to say, oh, look, there's a lot of underbanked people in Mexico. It's another thing to go and create a company to help solve that. What was the impetus there? Just the f- several things that happened, you know, to me and, and people very close to me. So, for example, on my end, I wanted to get access to a, you know, kind of like a credit card, and it was very difficult to. I got rejected multiple times, and then when I finally was able to get a credit card, 
the credit limit was actually very, very low. And it was in some aspects not helpful, right? And no matter if I paid on time for years, I couldn't get my credit limit to increase. So I think that was one, one aspect. And then my, my dad, he's told us for years how painful it is for him to, you know, he wanted to get an access to a credit card for his business and he got rejected and it was a profitable business, like, you know, well-run and 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 he couldn't even get access to a credit card. And my co-founder was the same thing. And then I would say generally, like in, in Mexico, for example, going to a bank is just a very painful experience. Coming from the, the background from Uyala, Uyala was using, you know, kind of like machine learning and data science to predict user behavior and increase engagement for consumers that were consuming video, essentially. And the original insight that we had from, you know, for Questkey in Mexico was that the financial industry is actually really, really, really new in Mexico, the one that we know right now. So, so essentially, the banks were private, and then they were governmental-owned. And I think it was very close to 1970s and 1980s. There was a current, like, like a foreigncy uh, and currency issue that made the government to prompt the government to essentially take over the banks and make it governmental controlled. And then on the early 1990s, the bank were privatized again. So where you know the government said like doesn't make sense for us to control the banks, let's just make them private. And then we had the 1994 tequila crisis, which essentially destroyed the financial industry in Mexico. We had to have the bailout, the banking bailout, you know, in the 19, mid 1990s. And then the first credit bureau was created in Mexico in 1996. If you take one step back and think like the new industry, the, the one that we're seeing right now that's touching the, the consumers in Mexico, it has less, less than 30 years old. And there's this kind of like this vicious cycle that's happening in Mexico, which is if you do not have access to credit, you know, you don't have a credit history, but then if you have a credit history, you cannot get access to credit. So there's kind of like this vicious cycle. Right. And we thought like there's so much... After the telco reform that was made in Mexico, I think it was 10 to 14 years ago, you know, the access to internet data was, we were one of the most expensive countries in terms of um, OECD, uh, in terms of mobile internet. And then we became one of the most competitive countries. So access to internet just went off, you know, grew significantly in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so much information you can get from consumers and our insight was, so it's a new industry, there's lack of this access to credit. If we could use machine learning and data science to score people with non-traditional data sources, and we can give, give them access to you know, credit, then that would probably be really a real interesting product to build. And so far, it's worked really well. So more than 60% or 70% of our consumers in Questkey, they've mentioned they have either created their credit history for the first time in their lives, or they've actually improved their credit history because they're, they're using Questkey. So that's kind of like the, how we got started with the company. Right, right. So I know you started in, uh, in credit. You started the company, was it 2013? How has the company evolved from your early days? We founded the company late on 2012, but we started the operations on 2013. That's mm -hmm. when we got started. We started with the, with the original product, which is essentially a lending product, a direct-to-consumer personal loan, essentially. The goal was for us to kind of like build the capabilities, uh, you know, start building the you know models, start getting the data sets and building all the capabilities for us to, you know, getting the access to the, the debt funding, the 
abilities to go and build a team that's helping us with the collections, like everything, like the marketing capabilities, everything. And then, you know, that worked perfectly well. And then we got into a new insight a few years ago, just before the pandemic. And the new insight was that um, if you see Mexico compared to other countries in the world, we're, I think we're one of the top five most unbanked countries in the world. And it's interesting because you can compare this to other countries either in Latin America, the Americas in Europe, or even Sub-Saharan Africa, and we're trailing behind it. We're not getting significant people getting access to a bank. We were trying to understand why was that happening, and we came to the conclusion, this was the second thesis, is there's a lot of people that are working in the informal economy. They earn their money in cash, and they pay everything in cash. They, for one reason, they do not want to pay taxes, and they stay away from the banking industry. When we read and speak about what's happening and lack of access to banking in Mexico, some people say, oh, it's because of the, the offer that banking institutions are giving to consumers. It's not attractive. You know, our thesis is no, it's actually the opposite. The demand for banking services is actually constrained. It's the Mexican market by its own characteristics, it's, it's constrained. And we felt that there's, you know, there's a lot of people that are in the informal economy and they, they are unbanked. They prefer to be unbanked, but we believe that being, uh, you know, in cash is actually expensive. It's expensive to to move cash. It's expensive to do cash in, cash out. It's it's risky to have cash. And we thought, let's try to think about the way in which we can enable people that are currently living in the cash economy to start transacting online, get access to e-commerce, even without having a bank account. And if we can help them you know, build a credit history and give them access to credit. And we can start incentivizing them to get access to more financial services and convince them that uh, it's better to be part of a formal economy and it's better to be part of the banking system, right? So that's when we launched QuestiPay. And QuestiPay mm-hmm. is our buy now, pay later solution. And essentially the way it works, anyone in Mexico, as long as they're more than 18 years old, because that's, you know, where they're considered to be adults, Anyone can actually go and buy online or offline using QuestiPay. They're not required to have a bank account. They're not required to do a down payment. And with this in mind, we think we can connect dozens of millions of consumers that are you know, living in Mexico with millions of merchants that are trying to reach out to these consumers, either online or offline. That's how we got involved. So this was a couple of years ago, and that business has just grown off the roof. There was a study made by Morgan Stanley in which... Uh, it says that uh, QuestiPay is present in, I think, like 9% of, you know, 150 top e-commerce merchants in Mexico, which compares Quesky to very similar to the penetration of established companies in the BNPL space in the United States. So that business has grown significantly. And then most recently, we've been doing series on, we're trying to launch a few products and we're testing several products that we can start continue offering to our consumers. So the general vision of what we want to achieve is we want to become the financial operating system of Mexicans. And we want to facilitate, the mission is to facilitate the financial lives of people in Mexico. Right, right. So it's interesting what you said there because you talk about cash and the cash economy. And yeah, there's a lot of momentum obviously behind people wanting to just stay in that economy. But then when you were talking, I just realized that, well, you can't really participate in the internet economy, right? Everything is cash. It's really hard to go to buy something online, to do an online transaction. So it sounds like what you're providing is a little opening for them. They don't have to go to a bank and fill out a 10-page application and sit there and be humiliated. They can just 
tiptoe their way in. And I've read some articles too, like BNP in Mexico is really growing fast right now. Is that, I mean, what do you think is behind that? Because obviously there's still a lot of people who prefer cash, but so what's behind the growth of BNPL in Mexico? I would say there's a couple of things. I'm going to say the most self-serving would be, you know, there's lack of access to credit in Mexico. There's just a huge bump in e-commerce in Mexico. And there's a fundamental, like, you know, even from the market perspective, imagine this, if you take all of the countries in the world, which is like very close to 200 countries, and you take their GDP multiplied times the percentage of people that are unbanked in those countries, you take all of those, by the way, we call this an economic financial inclusion opportunity index. Mm-hmm. So we see which countries have the most, you know, the biggest opportunity. And first place is China. Second place is United States. Hmm. Third place is Mexico. Fourth is Brazil. Fifth place is India. And then sixth place is Indonesia. There's just so much opportunity. It's an extremely, extremely exciting market. It's also a very, very difficult market. Some people realize that the fact that why Mexico is unbanked or there's such a lack of access to credit, it's not because people don't haven't thought about, I'll just give access to credit and banking products to the population. It's because it's a very difficult market to get access to. I would also say that the reason why there's a lot of BNPO growth in Mexico was because um, all the easy capital that was available in the last couple of years, you know, after the pandemic. So the pandemic actually shook up the world. And then U.S. government and the Fed were decreasing cost of capital and making it easy for people. And that was a good call. But then suddenly you have all of these, you put unquote, people say like the pandemic stocks and, and all of, you know, the technology world was just actually lit up. And there was a lot of money in the investor community. And BNPL used to be one of those companies that uh, many of the public companies, BNPL public companies, were getting very high you know, revenue multiples, valuation mm-hmm. multiples. And I think investors got excited about the model, which I think it's exciting. It's very, very difficult, by the way. And I, our thesis is that BNPL, at least in Mexico, is more of a feature of a whole ecosystem as opposed to a standalone product uh, right. or a standalone company. They got excited and there was a lot of money. And I think that's what's happening. And we're seeing this in the markets and it's a tough model. We are 150% high conviction. This is a really interesting model in Mexico. It's a tough market. Just to summarize, Peter, I would say it's a combination of two things. It's the market opportunity that's there. And it's just how much um, access to capital was you know, pursuing high revenue multiple companies uh, and right. businesses, including by now. Okay. I want to delve into a little bit of the details here. Firstly, the majority of the population is in the cash economy. How do you manage risk when that is a reality? How are you underwriting these people? I think that's at the core of what we do. So what happens in the traditional banking industry in Mexico is that the way banks are scoring people, it's more kind of like using the mentality of the last century, which is basically you have a paper application, you go to a physical banking branch, you have a physical you know, paper in which you, you do the application. And then traditional banks, typically what they do is they get, you know, 10 to 15 data points. They use very traditional, simple statistical models to score people. One of the main data sources that you use is, do they have a bank account with us or not? If they do, that's definitely easier for them to get access to credit. And if they don't, then it's difficult for them to give them access to credit. And then what happens is like they, they have this legacy infrastructure 
that makes them update their credit models every six months. It's a very, in some aspects, simple from the data perspective, very complicated from the process perspective, access to building the, the models. That's why essentially in Mexico, I think like 80% of the people in Mexico do not have access to a credit card in Mexico. Just you know, right. as, a, as a number. So what we do is we take that process upside down. And the way we do that is we say, let's try to get as much data sources as we can from customers. And just let's just try to analyze everything. Thousands of things and data sources in different ways to see users. And we've seen things like, for example, the way people type. If somebody types extremely fast, they tend to be fraud. If they type slow, they're not fraud, but they probably have a lower credit capacity. And if they type fast, but not extremely fast, <laughs> they tend to be phenomenal customers. Right. And then things like um, if they're applying from their computers and they, if they use their tab rather than the mouse, they're better customers. People using a tab is a better customer than people using a mouse. If they want to go from one question to another. And then Gmail users are better than Hotmail users. And so we started getting this type of really interesting things. It was difficult to get access to data. And we brought in literally the first people that were actually building the credit models were PhD in particle physics, part of a research group that actually finalized the detection, uh, the full understanding of, of the boson Higgs particle right, but, but, uh, in sure. turn. For years, we didn't have any people that knew credit in our company, essentially. And this was just essentially data scientists that were building very sophisticated models, a very robust data set. I think we calculate that we probably have more, you know, a larger data set than the credit bureau in Mexico. So a very robust data set, but very agile ways for us to score people using machine learning and data science. And then the interesting thing is that there's been points of time in which if something is happening in the macro environment, which makes us think that the credit profile of customers is changing by any reason. One example is COVID. You know, there was suddenly millions of people that were losing their jobs on every week or so. We can update those models. We have a very fast feedback loop because our loans, all of the products that we're giving to customers are the feedback loop is from a few weeks to a few months. So every single day, we know who's paying us and who's not, and we can update the model every single day if we wanted to. So we ended up seeing that, for example, in the pandemic, while banks were actually tightening their credit standards or their approval rates, if I can say it this way, we at one point, we were so good at understanding what was happening in the environment that we've had the higher approval rate and our loss rates were actually behaving below, you know, lower than what happened before the pandemic. Hmm, interesting. I think we have, you know, somewhere between more than 60, 70 people full time building the credit technology, the, the credit fraud and underwriting technology at the company. Right, right. And so, and obviously you had many years of doing consumer loans before you got into BNPL. And I imagine, I imagine that really helped. But now you're obviously adding huge numbers of BNPL clients. Is that helping to fuel the, the other sides of your business now? We see ourselves as an ecosystem of products. We admire companies like you know Apple or Disney, and we try to see the analogy of what we're trying to build in Questkey. So you know if you see products in Apple, it's you know your AirPods are connected to your iPhone, and then your your notes are connected to your computer, and then you have iCloud, and then you have Apple Music, and there's so much interconnection within the ecosystem and. The user experience is just so easy and it's so convenient. And that I think that's why Apple is such a, it's essentially the most valuable or the second most valuable company in the world that 
we take the same analogy. Every single time that we have a new product, it needs to make the ecosystem stronger. It needs to deliver a better value proposition to the customer. I think that's essentially what we do, right? You know, people that essentially get access to a lending product, they can suddenly go and shop with thousands of merchants that the, you know, and by the way, the merchants are paying us a MDR so we can give them access to better deals and rates. And then the other way around as well, right? Somebody uses a buy now later product. If they, any reason they want to, you know, they need access to liquidity, you know, we know them and they can access, get access to easier and more convenient liquidity through Questy. So, so we think about a lot about that aspect done. So then are you operating online and offline with the, the BNPL product? We do. Yes, that is correct. Like right now, most of our merchants is, is online, but we are doing a small pilot with a few stores. With one or 2% of our merchants, we're doing a small pilot with physical stores offline. And I think we're somewhere between 700 to 1,000 physical stores. It's hmm. a very small pilot. And we believe there's a lot of things that we're learning, but once we're ready, I think we can go and start offering this to essentially more than 100,000 physical stores. Okay, so you've talked about um, the growth of BNPL in the US, in Europe, in Australia. I mean, Australia is really one of the the birthplace, my native country, and uh, it's become so big there that it's part of how people pay. It's as ubiquitous as credit cards in many ways. So, but I'm curious about when looking at Australia and US, Europe, I mean, what have you learned from those places that you've incorporated into your offering in Mexico? The jobs to be done of BNPL companies in countries like Australia, United Kingdom, United States, or some countries in Europe is in some aspects so different from the jobs to be done in Mexico. Right. And by the way, these BNPL companies, they're getting so much traction. There's several reasons why. One of the reasons is a lot of the millennials, essentially what happened on, on the 2008 crisis, you know, they saw people getting burned with credit and they didn't want it to get access to credit cards. And there's this mm-hmm. trend around some millennials not getting exposed to credit cards coming in from the 2008 crisis. So there's a psychological aspect to that. And then there's also this convenience and access to credit. So if you think about what's happening in these companies in in all parts of the world, people have a debit card, they have a credit card, and they can pay for something online, but they either do not want to use their their balance in their debit card, or they do not want to use their credit limit. They don't want to decrease their credit limit. So what they do is they go and they say, let's just use a BNPL solution, right? And it's easy, it's convenient, it lets you pay sometimes with no interest in four installments. In some aspects, it's a better rational decision because why do you need to pay now to your credit card if you can pay in a couple of months with this BNPL solution? So it's just more rational if you know how to manage your finances, obviously. So that's why that's happening in, in those parts of the world. Now, in Mexico, the problem is much more exciting. Because what happens in Mexico is it's not only a convenience way for people to pay, it's a better rational decision because it's lower cost of capital, because it's no interest rate. At least our product is no interest for the first two and four installments. But at the same time, it becomes a payment solution. Most of the people in Mexico, so 60% of the people in Mexico don't have a bank account. 80% of the people in Mexico do not have a credit card. Like 78% of the merchants in Mexico do not have a POS terminal that accepts a credit card or a debit card. So essentially what we're doing, what we believe we're doing is we're connecting the economy. We're mm-hmm. enabling people 
to buy online, even if they don't have a credit card, debit card, a bank account or credit history. And the other aspect, the vision is that we can connect dozens or hundreds of thousands of merchants that can accept payments. And eventually the vision is that they only need a mobile app with a QR code in which customers can scan and then they can go away and buy if they don't have a cash or a credit card or whatever. And they don't need to pay for that, right? It's just a mobile app that they need to, to download. It's multiple times more challenging, but it's multiple times more interesting. Right, right. I've got a couple more questions before we wrap. I'd love to kind of get a sense of how the regulators view this and maybe also you know, comment on Hody, the digital payment solution that the government really wanted to get going. It hasn't had a lot of traction. Is that a negative or a positive? So it's a two-part question, you know, government regulators and the lack of kind of the success of Cody, is that a good thing or a bad thing for you guys? Regulators, I believe, are honest, very hardworking people that are trying to make Mexico a better place and a safer place in financial services. I think they're genuinely trying to improve it. And that's why we saw the, for example, the fintech law, right? The fintech law in Mexico was approved a few years ago. I think it was necessary because there was this gray line between the way people were getting access to people's deposits and wallets and things like that. By the way, there's different regulators. We have the Conducef, which is the equivalent of Mexico CFPB. Then we have the CNBB, which is essentially the one that's in charge of uh, anti-money laundering and things like that. And then we have Bank of Mexico. I think that the general perception of all regulators in Mexico is we need access to credit. We need access to financial services in Mexico. It's hurting Mexicans, and it's hurting the government, the fact that there's such a lack of access to financial services, as long as there's honest, professional, well-established institutions that are trying to reach out and really try to improve people's lives through financial services, they want to support them. You see in United States, for example, you know, there's always something changing, some regulation that's changing. And in Mexico, in the last 10 years, it's you know, except for the fintech law, which I believe was a positive, you know, it's being very stable, very projective. And the reason why they do that is because they want more established professional institutions. Now, to your question about to Kodi, unfortunately, that it hasn't taken off the way, you know, it's taken off with the UPI in India or the PICS in, in Brazil. I would say that the reason why this happens is because regulators, when they were pushing Kodi, their original thesis was that they felt that the it was expensive for small merchants to accept payments through you know, digital payments, essentially, because they would be charged a merchant an interchange fee, and that could potentially be prohibited for them, especially the smaller merchants, which are just essentially you know, living on a daily basis from the financial perspective, cash flow perspective. And their thesis was that if they could actually enable them a payment system you know, that would not cost the merchants, they would be willing to support Kodi uh, because they would increase sales and it would not cost for them anything. And then we would have this kind of like positive feedback loop and network effect in which everybody, you know, more merchants would promote Kodi and then more consumers would be using Kodi and there's this feedback loop. And I think that what happened in Kodi is that coming back to the informal economy, that, you know, people, they do not want to use banking services. It's more... Right consumer not demanding banking services because they're working in the formal economy. They, they are concerned that if they use a banking service, uh, it's either a consumer or a merchant, they're going to get tracked from the tax perspective. And they're very, very afraid of that. 
in India, for example, there was this demonetization type of issue that also helped the adoptance of, of UPI. In Mexico, there's probably, I think there could be some interesting things about the, about Cody that needs to be done. There's something else that needs to be made to support the growth of Cody. Otherwise, it's going to be tougher for, for consumers and merchants to adopt it. Right, right. Okay. Give us a sense of what scale you guys are at now. Like how many customers do you have? How many employees? That sort of thing. So we've had more than 1.4 million customers. We have more than 700 uh, employees. We're going to soon be disclosing revenue numbers, but uh, in the startups in Mexico, we're probably, I would say probably top five in terms of most revenue run rates. Okay. Okay. So let's end on your vision for how this is going to play out in, in the long term where Questkey can be sort of the center of helping bring people from the informal economy into the more formal economy. What's your vision there? We're inverting the equation. So I suppose to saying to the consumer, hey, give me money as a bank account initially, and then I'll give you access to financial services. Our proposal is we will give you access to financial services. And there's a bunch of stuff we can offer them. We're starting with loans, you know, or credit because that's very well needed in Mexico. But there's a bunch of stuff we want to do. You know, there's credit, there's insurance, there's savings, wealth management, investments. There's a bunch of stuff. There's commerce. So we want to give them access to several of these products first and then gradually convince them to be part of the banking system, the formal economy. We want to educate them that it is better to pay taxes. And if they pay taxes and they get access to all of these financial services, they're going to be in a better shape and they're going to get more customers and it opens them the world. Part of the things that we're going to be offering through this ecosystem of products, some of them we're going to be offering them ourselves because we believe we can give them access to those products. But we also believe that we can become a platform so that other companies can also give access to those financial services. You know, coming back to my admiration from what's happening in, in the technology world in China, I like what Alipay and what WeChat are doing in China. And I mm -hmm. think if we do something of that in Mexico, that would be phenomenal. Okay, well, well best of luck with that, Adal. Really, really interesting story. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me here. As Adale said many times, actually, the opportunity in Mexico is huge. As I say, it's one of the biggest opportunities on the planet. And that's because the formal economy is so entrenched. And we were chatting after we stopped recording and, you know, talking about how the older generation are the ones that are, are very resistant to change and sort of really don't want the Mexican IRS involved in their lives whatsoever. But the younger generation have, they get the benefit of being in the financial system. And that's what it's got to come down to. The benefit of having everything done in the formal financial system has got to outweigh the benefit of going cash, cash based in the informal system. And that's really what they're selling. And he's, as I said, Adele's building this whole ecosystem. So people can not just getting a loan, you're not just getting a way to pay, but you're getting an entire ecosystem made available to you, which simply is not available in the informal economy and will never be because cash is so different and it's got its own unique challenges along the way. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.